lost deep in the pages of your Bible are the books that are unmentioned, unheard of, and unread. They are the forgotten books of the Bible. Hey, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I am Chris. I am Mirzik. So, a couple of weeks ago, yeah. we took the kids to Disneyland. It was actually pretty cool. It was a surprise, so we kept it a whole secret thing where uh, like a month or two before Easter, I measured them just to make sure they could get on the rides. I didn't want to take them if they couldn't get on the rides. Like I'm not that parent who wants to take my kids and walk around Disneyland without getting on any of the fun rides, at least. Yeah, someone just offered to take uh me delilah and the kids i was like all right well we're getting a sitter for silas i'm not gonna go and just like oh let's push the baby around disneyland yeah that's that's maddening especially we saw so many people doing it but i measured them and you know my kids somewhat are smart they like to ask a lot of questions they're like why are you somewhat (laughs) (laughs) sometimes they are and uh they're like why are you measuring us and i was like oh me mom and all of us are gonna get like matching easter outfits and they're like, oh, okay. And I really thought Remy would throw a fit about it because she just hates that kind of stuff. But no, she was cool. Easter was coming up and she's like, dad, where's our, where's our bunny outfits? Our matching bunny ones. That's right. I feel like you told me this. Did you tell me? It? Yeah, I did tell you it. Yeah. I'm just wondering if you said it on the podcast too. No, not yet. Not okay, that yeah. part. I waited to. So everyone gets the full scope of the story. Yeah, then. the full yeah. scope of how much I'm a liar. And <laughs> so there's no bunny outfits. And I was like, oh, the, the place that was going to make them, they couldn't get it here by Easter. So let's just forget that part and move forward. And she's like, oh, okay. So Easter comes and goes. And then uh, they knew they were having the day off. So we told them we were going to like a beach. And But I was like, you got to wear your normal clothes because we're going to get breakfast first. Then we're going to go to the beach. And she was like, Remy said, well, let me just wear my bathing suit underneath so that way I could take it off. And I was like, no, 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 this beach is cool. Like it has fancy dressing rooms and everything where you can go get dressed. And it's like a real fancy beach. Like how the striped tents, all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. So we're driving to Disneyland that morning. And like, I'm really thinking because she could read, reads in a kindergarten, getting ready to go the first. His reading level isn't there yet to see Disneyland and know what it means. So I mean, I, you don't got to read Disneyland. Like, well, I, Disney I was, is a... It's Disney. Yeah, yeah. But she was like, I was, you know, as we're getting closer, it says like Disneyland Way, Disneyland Drive and all Mm -hmm. that stuff. Didn't even notice any of it. Like she's just sitting there and then we're in the actual parking structure now. And at this point, I'm like, are any of them going to notice that we're not at a restaurant or a fancy beach? No, they trust dad. Right. And so I asked. Going through the Disneyland parking lot is the way to the beach restaurant. Yeah, it has to be. (laughs) And so I asked, I was like, Remy, do you know where we're at? And she was like, no. And I said, look around, read the signs. And she was like, Disneyland? And then both of them, like their whole faces changed. Are we going to Disneyland? And I was like, yeah, we're going to Disneyland. I said, what did you think when you saw the signs? She said, I just thought they were advertisements, like billboards or something. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. So we went and we had a good old time. Uh, they were a little disappointed they didn't get to the go to the fancy beach. But maybe that's for the next lie. <laughs> for the next lie. <laughs> hey, we're going to go to Disneyland. Turns out it's the beach. Yeah. I think that out of that whole story, what actually caught my attention is you saying that we're going to get matching bunny outfits and that they believed that you would get in a bunny outfit, which makes me think that how you present yourself to all of us on the outside of your home, (laughs) but on this tough exterior, but at home, they're like, yeah, dad, he gets in those bunny outfits. He wants to match with us. Yeah, maybe maybe it's a little bit different. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's okay. You can, me for last Christmas, all of us had like these fuzzy onesies on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure this picture is somewhere. I look like Chewbacca. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> My long hair and there's just a fuzzy brown thing on you. Yeah. Yeah. All I could think of was uh, a Christmas story. You know, I've never seen that. You've never seen a Christmas Oh, so they gets like this horrible like... Wait, pink... is the Christmas story the one with the little kid? Yeah, you'll shoot your eye gun? Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. yeah, it's always on in the background. Mm-hmm. I don't pay too much attention. I put it on all the... Once Christmas Eve comes on and it comes on TV, it's on until like it turns off. But yeah, when he comes down in the big old bunny outfit and uh, the dads are like, go take that off. That's kind of what I was imagining, but... Yeah, see, I don't remember that scene at all. Uh, all right, well, let's just move on then. All right. All right. Speaking of things that we forgot about. Yeah, the forgotten book. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a segue. <laughs> a pretty good one, actually. Yeah. I'm really like, well, let's just abruptly turn over here now. Yeah. Let's now talk about the Bible. Uh, Haggai. Yeah, Haggai. So you can say it that way. I'm going to say Haggai. I think it all depends on how you want to say it. 
honestly, my whole life I've called it Haggai. And then in <laughs> preparation for this, I was like, hey, I'm driving, you know, let me just soak it up some more. So I, I open up the Bible app. Yeah, let me just listen to it. And the guy goes, Haggai. I'm like, oh, this is the NLT. Of course, he's going to say it weird. <laughs> like, I want to know the actual way yeah. of saying it, not the like. Anyways, yeah, apparently it's Haggai. I'm going to stick with Haggai. For the reading of the book, I said Haggai because I wanted to at least sound like that's proper mm-hmm. for that part. I don't know. Do I need to keep it up for during the episode? No. Haggai? Haggai. I feel like it would be a real struggle in my thoughts to just try and even pronounce a word. All right. Haggai it is. Haggai it is. But so, for everyone listening. Technically. Well, it's like a, I mean, we're going to eventually get to Philemon. Mm-hmm. But then there are people who are like. Philemon. Philemon. Yeah. You know, I really like uh, Malachi, that Italian prophet. Malachi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Malachi. Malachi. Yeah, right. Malachi, the Italian prophet. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's get into this. So we're going to look at who is Haggai. So stupid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when was he a prophet? This one, these ones are going to be even so much better. Um, Wait, hold on. So you're laying out kind of the questions that were going yeah. on. So Sam, because I'm not even paying attention. I was laughing at my oh, Okay, so it's who is Haggai? That will okay. be the easy one. Uh, when was he a prophet? So when was Haggai a prophet around what time frame? Who is Darius? Who is Zerubbabel? Yeah, Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel? Yeah. Zerubbabel? Yeah. Who is that guy? And then why was the re- rebuilding of the temple so important? So we're going to try to hit some of those as we go through uh, the chapters of this book. And I feel like as we go through the chapter, we'll address each one of these. Um, but the breakdown for this forgotten book is first, it's God's message and his call to rebuild the temple, that's Haggai 1, 1 through 11. The people's response to that message, and that's Haggai 1, 12 through 15. The second message about the future glory of the temple, that's Haggai 2, 1 through 9. The third message of the unclean and blessing, uh, that's Haggai 2, 10 through 19. And then the fourth message is the prophecy concerning Zerubbabel, Haggai 20 through 23. So, that's kind of the breakdown of it. Um, it's interesting that Haggai is one of the smallest books in the Bible. And when I was looking at it, it's only two chapters, right? So we're looking at this book of two chapters long. Uh, it's a little bit different than Obadiah that was just Obi-1. Mm-hmm. I brought it back. Yeah. You know, it's not that bad. <laughs> but this one's only 38 verses. I heard a pastor say this preaching on the book. Uh, he said, uh, it, you're obviously not going to go where Haggai is, so look at the table of contents in your Bible and then go try to find it. Like he was telling his church to, to like, you know, we're going to go through this book, so let's turn there. And uh, he said, um, you didn't know this book was in your Bible before this message, but by the end of it, it's going to be one of your favorite books. Mm-hmm. And I actually found that to be true for myself, too, as I've done more study, not just for our podcast, but I've used Haggai before and a few other things. And when I read it, I was like, this book's legit. Yeah, I really like it. And I'll explain the reasons why I really like it when we get to the points for why I really like it. But like you're saying, it's so packed, which is where when you're bringing up those questions, they're just like, well, okay, well, who are these people? And why is the thing important? I feel like the answers to that will just be sandwiched in amongst much other of our talking and study because there's a lot in here. It's I like this little book. Yeah. And yeah, you probably don't know it's there because it's like these other ones. If it's one page, you you flip it over and when your Bible is nice and crispy and new and the pages stick together. And this one would stick yeah, together. You're, yeah. You're trying to go over to like the bigger prophets. Mm-hmm. You're not trying to be with Haggai. And not going to hang out with that guy. Yeah. It's like, oh, you flip the page. Where did Haggai go? I don't know. We forgot about him for a couple thousand mm-hmm. years. <laughs> <laughs> Seems about right. But we're Man, bringing him back today. Accurate. Yeah. Your church friends bring you back Haggai. Yeah. Uh, yeah, one of the things I looked at is that he was one of the first prophets to speak after the exile. So we kind of touched on this with Joel and Obadiah, that the children of Israel had sinned. They have messed up. We're looking at all of Israel in whole and um, not just Judah, but all 12 tribes. They all messed up. They were all doing wicked things, kings leading them astray um, and all that stuff. And then Babylon comes marching in and takes over and then uh, just destroys Judah in the temple, just burns it, lights it on fire, takes people into exile, kills a bunch of people, and then just leaves like the people that are left there are pretty much the like poorest of poor there. So then they bring all the people into Babylon and they're there for about 70 years. Mm -hmm. And then and even some of that story, when you're talking about the, the pillaging and the taking away and all that stuff. Wasn't that just in one of the books that we were talking about that was kind of mm-hmm. referencing that and those lovely neighbors of the Israelites who were there and kind of looked on from afar and then encouraged it and then went in and took part of some of that pillaging and then went and stopped the people from escaping? And yeah, what a history. Yeah, it really is. And that's where we're at. So then they're now allowed to come back 
after Babylon's been kind of just conquered by the Persians. Yeah, I think that's where Darius is coming in from. Darius. Well, it was Cyrus, right? Cyrus. Oh, yeah. Cyrus and then, you know, a couple down. I think mm-hmm. Cyrus and then I forget the guy who's just before Darius. I think there's one more and then Darius comes in. Yeah, so Cyrus conquers Babylon in 539 BC and he allows the exiles to return home. And then around 538 BC, they start rebuilding the temple. And you get about like, uh, I, I heard that and read that it was about 50,000 decided to leave from Babylon to head back to Jerusalem. And what was pretty interesting to me, because we're looking at 70-year time span, is that some of these people never lived in Jerusalem. None of, some of them were heading home to a home that was never home to them. Like they had grown up in Babylon. They had lives there. They had things there. So about 50,000 of them kind of answer the call of God and say, we're going to head back to where our people are from. And even when we look at Haggai, he could be one of those people who never saw the temple in the first place. Yeah, so you're going to have a mix of that. You're going to have some of the old timers coming. Like you said, there's a whole lot of people that are coming and they were refugees. They were people in a foreign land that are finally coming back to their homeland. And uh, yeah, what a mix of response that you'd have to that, of people coming out of captivity. And like, what a great thing that's been, but you've never known anything different. Man, if there's anything about the Israelite people, they hold on to the story of who they are yeah. and the promises that have been made to them. So you know that even though that you were born in the foreign land, all that you've been hearing, because man, you you keep these stories and the God who called you out of Egypt and brought you into the promised land and what's up with this promised land and the temple getting built and all this stuff. And this is who you are. Then our God is greater than these gods here and he's going to deliver. There was the prophet that came before. So all of that. And then you're coming in. And like you said, they started building, and then they were not allowed to continue building. Yeah, and this is where Haggai steps in. So let's read verse 1, and uh, if you don't mind reading that, and we'll get into answering some of these questions. All right, so in the second year of the reign of Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, stating that this is what the Lord of hosts says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So I'm just going to interject there. My mm-hmm. translation, being a study Bible, gives it in all of the second year reign of Darius, first day of the sixth month. If you were to translate that out, that's uh, 21st of September, 520 BC. And all of it takes place within four months time span. So it's a book that like from each message, it's four months. So now that we know it starts off in September, we could add four months and see where it ends. I, uh, I saw this. I thought this was pretty cool. Um, It says names and dates are the Bible's way of saying this is facts. Like where we had like Joel and Obadiah, we really didn't get much of the names and dates. And not to say that it wasn't fact. but That's a a weird setup. So those ones are just allegory. Yeah. No fact in there at all. Not to say they weren't, but this (laughs) one actually gives us some facts that historically we could go back to those times. No, like you said, you pulled up exactly when this was happening and we could have those. And, And it's just so beautiful that sometimes the Bible does provide those things that like this is a book of we know when. So we check that off. And now we're going to like, well, who's Haggai? Well. Not much is much is mentioned about his family uh, or birthplace, but he was a prophet during this time. And he's kind of um, him and Zechariah are kind of like prophets together at the same time. And also both of them mentioned in the book of Ezra. So we got Haggai mentioned in Ezra chapter four, verses 24 to the beginning of chapter five. And then you have him again mentioned in Ezra six fourteen. So I feel like the context of this book needs to be read with Ezra and Zechariah to kind of get the full picture of what's going on yeah so Ezra Nehemiah which you already said in Ezra that's where you get the lead up of what happened where they started to build the temple and then it got a halt put to it so just you know anyone listening read all of these together it gives kind of the complete picture of what's happening during this time frame and you get different things that are highlighted you know throughout the different books um, highlighting the different characters because it's going to be the same people in uh, Zechariah like you pulled up He's going to be talking about Zerubbabel. He's going to be talking about Joshua. And they treat them differently. So it's good to kind of get the full picture there. It's just like when the New Testament, right? We have the four Gospels. Mm -hmm. They can talk about different stuff, but you get different details through it. So we're not going through Zechariah on the Forgotten Books, right? We are not. We're not going through Ezra? No. We're not going through Nehemiah? No. All right, that's homework then. Yeah, that's something (laughs) for everyone else to do. Yeah, take this and, and dig in. Yeah, because I think one of the best ways to really understand the Bible sometimes is looking at all the books that kind of run similar. And, and 
sometimes we get into that rut of because we read it maybe from Genesis to Revelation, we think that those books, like it's what's next, what's next, what's next. So we run into like that wall of like, wait, now this is going back over there. I'm very confused. Um, when it's not really necessarily written in uh, chronological order. Which you so. can get the chronological Bible, which will do that. And they'll mm. chop up the verses and the books and stuff. So you're like, what book am I in? I don't know. But you're getting the story <laughs> in the right order, which is good. Yeah. So you're getting that. But then even then, it's just like we've talked about many times that from a verse to a verse, the amount of time that passes can be a long time. And from a mm -hmm. book to a book. So sometimes even reading through, like it's not just this super condensed story. It's, it's covering thousands of years, right? Thankfully, this is only covering four months. So it's easier to understand. One thing I read about this, and I thought this was pretty cool, was Haggai's name. So we kind of made big deals about everyone else's name. So I thought might as well go in there and see what Haggai's name means. And uh, his name means feast or festival, uh, even a Saul feast child. And I thought that was pretty cool that his name could suggest that he was born during a festival or possibly he was given a new name that suited his message because his second message took place on the seventh day of the Feast of Tabernacle. And that was really an important feast, especially post-exile community. Yeah, which is always weird when you have these names that just really link people to what's going on. I was like, just what we're calling you now because you mm -hmm. had that thing that was linked up with the feast or you're the kid that's named, hey, my feast. And what do you know? <laughs> you, you pull through on your name. <laughs> and now you're a prophet doing that feast. Yeah. yeah. And it was also an important part because it was celebrated after the rebuilding of the altar and the reading of the law. And again, Ezra, Nehemiah, go read those things because they are going to tie some of the pieces together. But all that's from verse one. <laughs> Maybe not just from verse one. We went around. Um, there was a cool thing that I found, though, uh, when talking about that shutdown of the temple being built and just how you said, hey, there's dates and this is factual. I had come across a similar uh, petition that was written because that's where the neighboring cities were mm. petitioning to the governors and you got to go up the, the chain of command there. And basically it kind of seems like this people group telling on this people group and using the authority <laughs> of the ruling power to shut it down and stuff. But there, there's, you can go read it and find it online. It's a petition to the governor of Judea from 408 BC. And you can read through, it's the same kind of stuff mm -hmm. happening like, a roof had gotten stolen off of a building and different stuff. So they're trying to get permission. They're telling on who did it. And you can't just go retaliate because we don't want problems in our empire. So they're referring to the power. But you can go read it. And it's just even an interesting study because this probably wasn't the official one that was sent. It was like a draft copy of it because they found it way far away and it wouldn't have made sense and all the stuff. But just to even look at them like, all right, this is important. Let's get a draft written down on this papyrus and then we'll send out a real one. But just really, it's an interesting thing to read because you'll see the same kinds of language and the same kinds of problems that we find written in the Old Testament from cultures that we know existed because we found stuff outside the Bible. Because for people who don't want to say that the Bible is factual, cool. Will you believe this piece of papyrus? Yeah. yeah. I like that you brought that up too, the, uh, that whole letter and talking about the issues that they were having with neighbor people and that they didn't want to cause trouble because, yeah, Cyrus let them go home. But there's no doubt about it. Just because they were there didn't mean that they weren't under the rule of the Persians still. Oh, yeah. No, that's so just they, his ruling style. Yeah. They yeah. didn't want to create issues because then you're still under the Persian rule. If you create issues, then everything you're working on, uh, it gets stopped. So we're looking at this and where, where Haggai kicks in is that they went back home. They began construction. And then there were some neighbors of theirs that stopped the work by bribing some of the officers and frightening the builders. And the people around them, they were just discouraged. So they were just discouraged and they were afraid to keep building. So they stopped. And that's verse two being referenced in yeah. Haggai, right? These people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Okay, then what? Then the word of the Lord came through Haggai the prophet saying, is it a time for you yourselves to live in paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? This house meaning the temple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they had stopped, again, Ezra chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, and Ezra 3, 8 through 13. That talks about this. Ezra talks about the, the people coming in, making trouble for the Israelites while they were trying to rebuild God's temple, and then them getting discouraged and stopping. And again, this is where Haggai kicks in, and he starts coming into like, so why did we stop doing this? What's going on? And oh, we're going to build our own homes. And and I, I kind of sit here and like think harshly of it, like especially when we get into the next episode. Like, yeah, there's a lot about you're building your own homes instead of building God's. But the discouragement that came, like, again, you're 50,000 people. 
you're going from Babylon back to Jerusalem. That walk and that travel is not an easy one. It would take about five months to get from there to there. And if you have little kids or old people, it's going to take a little bit longer. And you're there, right? You're back in this land that you may have known as home or by this point you're really old. So what it was isn't what it used to be. And you're kind of commissioned to like, let's rebuild this temple, right? And you're starting and you're going. And you're thinking, well, if I'm doing God's work, and this is where I personalized it a little bit. Well, if I'm doing God's work, um, won't there be success in it? And then enemies start coming in and, and people challenging them and, and people discouraging them. And then you're just like, you're feeling deflated. So what do I do? I'll go fix up my farm. I'll go fix up my shop. I'll go fix up my house and I'll go do that instead. Um, so I, I personalized it a little bit because I could get that. Did your crops not have a good harvest? Are you working hard, expecting much, only for it to turn out to be a little? Do you feel like there must be a big old hole in your bank account or that you never seem to have enough? Thankfully, none of that's an issue at Jimbo's used car lot. Feel free to come by and walk the lot of his amazing luxurious cars. You might just find that special vehicle, that one that fulfills all your wants. Worried about that bottom line? Jimbo will have you sit down with his wonderful financing department to work out a great deal. In fact, Jimbo is currently offering a fantastic money-saving plan for a $100 month auto loan at the low, low 38% interest rate. So stop by Jimbo's used car lot today. Jimbo's used car lot is located across the street from the Anger Emporium and adjacent to the Beef Gristle Mill. Give careful thought to your ways. Stop by Jimbo's to take advantage of some awesome deals today. The reality of it, you mm -hmm. put yourself in the situation, you have the ruling authorities, it's like, hey, you let me come home, but you're telling me I can't do this because if I do do that, then I'm either not staying at home because <laughs> I'm dead or back in prison, right? Or, uh, yeah, exiled. And Haggai steps up and he challenges them. Uh, he challenges the decision to stop building God's house while they continue to build their own houses for, their, for themselves. So... Uh, I like this. I have this written down. He aimed to convince the people and their leaders to finish the temple, to make sacrifices to obey God instead of focusing entirely on their own needs, to come to honor God by rebuilding the temple. And he, uh, he also warned that poverty would continue. So we'll get through that and some of the other ones. And he assured them that God was with them. Um, so that was kind of like that first message was like, let's go back. Let's rebuild the temple. It was almost like he just gave them all a great pep talk and they were like yeah let's do it like a captain america speech well in the pep talk and we didn't actually read that part yet right because you're calling it pep talk hi guys way of the pep talk is like hey you notice you guys keep doing all this stuff and it's not working out like you're planning a lot and your harvests aren't coming through and you feel like you need to go eat but you never get enough you're drinking you never get your fill putting on clothes you're not getting warm you're trying to collect money it's like your bag has holes it's just coming out like have you stopped to consider again he says carefully consider your ways or different translations have different phrasing there but that's really where he's coming in to lead in the pep talk he's like guys look at your current situation have you thought about it it's because we're ignoring what god wants us to do yeah that that's really the big point of his message like do you see now what what's happening and it's like there's a struggle here because your priorities have gone the other way god's not first he gets them and the people are like yeah let's rebuild and let's do this and they all it says the spirit stirred inside of them and they decided to go out and build um, and they they did it. And, and again, Ezra fills in some of the gaps where the governor questioned what they were doing. And so they sent a letter to Darius and Darius searched the royal archives and confirmed that the Jews claim was accurate and Cyrus had commanded it. So now you have uh, the support of King Darius and the people were just like, you can't stop that, right? So now it's got the support of, of him. So again, the book kind of fills in the gaps. When we look at Darius and who he is, that's the role he played. But this isn't the same Darius from Daniel, right? No, nope, that's going to be a different Darius as far yeah. as what my studies were. It still is really weird when I get into because there's a lot of people with the same names and even sometimes the dates seem like they overlap. So I'm like, no, I studied that is a different Darius. And then I look, and I'm like, no, 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 it's a different Darius, which I don't have my notes on that Darius open. But uh, looking at this Darius, like I said, you have Cyrus, you have, man, whatever that next guy's name is, then you have Darius coming in. And where you look at Cyrus coming in, obviously, he was able to go in and conquer Babylon. Then you had the next guy in line went and conquered Moorland. And this Darius, he wants to follow through. He's trying to prove himself when he was coming into 
uh, rulership. There's kind of questions about should he be the guy and how does this all work? It's an interesting historical study. But he was like, I'm going to go and conquer Greece. And so this is where he had the uh, Greco-Persian wars happening. Mm. And he's like, I'm going to go and do it. Um, he didn't. <laughs> but <laughs> he tried. He tried. But he didn't. But um, he actually did do, as far as a, a ruler goes, he reformed a lot of the laws, a lot of the financial stuff and economic stuff that was going on. And as far as economic stuff, he kind of got known a little bit as a swindler because he really liked to collect tributes. So he was going, he was going around like, hey, you guys, you should give me more money. You should, you should really give me some more money. And so he's kind of known for that. But he went out. He, he tried his best. Didn't win the wars. But um, yeah, he ruled over that time. But the thing that he's most known for, especially within biblical that we would be looking at, is um, allowing the rebuilding, the reconstruction of the temple. And it's really interesting. Uh, I was thinking about that when you were talking. Like, we have Nebuchadnezzar, right? And I think we mentioned it that uh, there are times when he was even called God's servant. Mm -hmm. Like, he was chosen for what he did conquering Jerusalem, bringing the people into exile. Really where I'm going at with this is we see these rulers and these kings that may not be godly playing godly roles, like God's still using them. So you have Nebuchadnezzar who brings them all in. Go back and listen to the villains episode about Nebuchadnezzar to see what happens with him. Uh, and then you have Cyrus who conquers Babylon. Which being talked about godly roles, I'm pretty sure Cyrus gets called a messiah. Yeah. And he then allows them to go back home, right? God using one king to bring them into exile, another one to let them return home. And then you have Darius who uh, allows them to build without being hassled anymore. And it's God using key figures in key places that necessarily aren't his. We're not looking at these people like we're looking at David, Daniel, uh, Moses, or Abraham, but they're key figures into the furthering of God's kingdom. Yeah, so you get God's sovereignty overall, especially on this big national scale. And it's also really weird because we look at, okay, the Jews were God's chosen people. He took them on. Hey, I'll be your God, you be my people. But like, he still is the creator of all the other people. And he still has a vested interest in what happens in the rest of creation. It's not the same story as what happens with the Israelites. But yeah, he's still at work when you see these other things coming into play. And uh, how far his sovereignty goes into choices and whatnot, that can be a, Cal a conversation for the Calvinists and <laughs> not what I want to get into. <laughs> yeah, let those people have fun with it. Uh, so the second message of Haggai, so that's the first one is like, hey, you guys are kind of being selfish right now. Stop building your own thing. Go back to work. The people are all inspired by it. And I really like uh, the second half of that where it says like, uh, the, then they obeyed and then God started moving with them. He said, I'm with you. And then we have chapter two and chapter two kind of. No, I got to stop you. I said in the beginning when you're like, I really mm -hmm. like this book. And I said, I'm going to bring up where I, where I really like this so book. This is the you're part not you allowed like. to just skip over the one time in all of the prophets when the Jewish people <laughs> say, wow, this is God. This is one of his prophets. We're going to listen. This is obedience now. You can't just glance over them. All right, let's just go. That was the second message. It was pretty good. Like you have then Zerubbabel and Joshua, as well as the remnant of the people, which you're saying the 50,000 odd so people obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the words of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord, their God had sent him. So the people feared their Lord. Like that's all that you're ever really looking for in the scripture. You look at any of the Man, any of the seasons that we've done when we're talking about different times throughout history and where people are at, they're constantly not doing this yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So this is why I like Haggai. I was trying to think of it too when you said that. When it, where else has a prophet said something other than Jonah, but that wasn't God's people, that was Nineveh. When else has a prophet said something and everybody was like, yeah, we're, you're right, we're all wrong, let's go back to do it. I'm sure there's a few in there, but I mean, poor Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Isaiah, they were just knocking on the doors of people, and everyone's just like, get out of here. Go away. We don't like you. Um, we're not listening to that. So yeah, uh, I think Isaiah gets chained up in the courtyard, or is that Jeremiah? One of them are like in the courtyard, and they're just stuck there because they're prophesying, saying this is what God's saying, and everyone's like, no, we're not listening to that. We'd rather listen to this guy. So yeah, Haggai comes in, delivers a message, and finally everyone's are like, then they obeyed. Mm -hmm. They obeyed God. So yes, yeah, a really big moment within the time and for them, and I think there's there's uh, that promise of God being with them, yeah, is such a key ingredient to the obedience of them, right? Because that was the response. Mm -hmm. You've told us something. You're 
rebuking us or admonishing us to, to listen, and we are. And God's response is, I am with you, declares the Lord. What more do you want in life? Yeah. What more do you need in life? Probably think of a lot of things that I think would answer that, but this is really where it's at. Yeah. So now the second message? Fine. <laughs> we'll touch more on that in episode <laughs> two. Uh, but yeah, the second message comes in and uh, it's a, let me read it for you guys. It says, who of you is left who saw the house in its former glory? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua. I'm not even going to try to say his dad's name. The high priest. And be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you. You look at this, and some of this is filled in, again, with Ezra, where, uh, where he talks about, you know, the does it not look like it does in its former glory? Yeah, so you, people weeping. Yeah, Ezra, you have, you have some people weeping. The older people who had seen it before, they're weeping. And the younger people who hadn't, they're like, yeah, look what we did. And we're cheering. And it even says that you couldn't tell the difference between crying and like rejoicing. Mm -hmm. uh, Especially because crying back then, the wailing and mm -hmm. everything that would happen. Yeah, it's a... And for good reason, when you consider Solomon's temple in all of yeah. its splendor and just who Solomon was, wisest, richest, man, he was bringing in the cedars of Lebanon and he was decking the walls out with gold and carving pomegranates in it. Everything was golden engraved and stuff. And here you have this second temple being built. I always called it second temple. And as I studied, it's often called Zerubbabel's temple. Hmm. Did you come across that? No, I didn't see that at all. Because uh, Zerubbabel being the high priest that was overseeing it, it's often referred to as Zerubbabel's temple. Huh. So you have Solomon's temple and Zerubbabel. I didn't know that until I was kind of studying it. I'd never seen that phrase. I never I'd did. always just heard of like, oh, second temple Judaism and stuff. But yeah, just this one, just as Haggai says it, does it not appear to you like nothing in comparison? Mm -hmm. Which then you, you read that encouragement coming there. Because and setting off to do something for God and... Like you said, the younger people are like, hey, we're rebuilding it. God said to rebuild it, we rebuild it. And then the older people are like, y you really didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's like um, those Pinterest fails. <laughs> oh, <I have> to... <laughs> yeah. Or the, what's that uh, cooking show on uh, Netflix? Nailed it. Nailed it, yes. It's like that where you're like, here's Solomon's Temple. And then they're like, here's Solomon's Temple. Nailed it. Or it's like pretty horrible. Uh, but you're right. That Solomon's Temple was just this gaudy, golden palace of, greatness and i think even after that it got looted or something and it became then they replaced it with bronze or just mm. gold plated stuff so the diminish of what it was from then as the time went on slowly got worse but to come back and rebuild it and then to say like yeah this is this temple and, and when we keep on reading on it talks about it and i will fill this house with glory says the lord almighty so just talking about how he will once again fill this house with glory while like some of them are discouraged and some of them are praising it. And when I read that, I kind of just thought like, if this is the second temple, this is the temple Jesus walked in. Mm -hmm. This is the temple Jesus preached in. So when you're talking about like that filled with glory once more, like, yeah, maybe, maybe it's not Solomon's temple, but this is the temple that our Savior walks through. So it will be filled with glory again. And just when looking at the temple as a concept, it's interesting to me where, where God through Haggai is putting an importance. I'm like, hey, you guys are building your houses, but what about mine? Because it makes me think back to King David. And this is just me thinking through it. I kind of had the thought when I was studying, but I didn't get time to flesh it out. But you have David. David's like, God, I want to build you a house. And God's response was kind of like, I don't really need you to do that. You know what I mean? And then he's like, "And but you definitely aren't going to. Like, You're sinful. You're a war machine. Like, I'm not giving it to you. Your son can do it, though. So then Solomon got to build it. But just God's initial response to David was like, I really don't need you to do that for me. To then this one being like, hey, you guys are doing your own thing. When are you going to do mine? That's a, a thread that I want to keep pulling on, you know, in further study to find that out. It just, it seems like an interesting change there of importance. And a lot of times God, once something does get put into place, he then uses that thing for the people, mm -hmm. just like he wasn't wanting a king. But then he made promises to David, hey, forever on your line, there's going to be a king. And Jesus came from that line, right? So I can see how sometimes God's like, hey, this isn't really a thing, but if you're going to do it, I'll use it. Okay. That's kind of off the top of my head thoughts on it. I don't know if you have any thoughts or if we should just go on to stuff that we well, I did study. <laughs> <laughs> I think the even with that, your off the head stuff kind of leads me to like what it really represented, the temple. At this point now, it was uh, it was restoring the temple that would give God glory and bring him pleasure. So again, it's like, well, at one point he didn't want it, but now he's saying like, this will bring me pleasure. But I read this and I thought this was a cool little way to 
really see why rebuilding the temple was important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, that's one of the questions we have. Yeah, we're going to answer one. Uh, It did not simply remind them that God was invisibly present. It was a place where they saw God. It did not simply remind them that God was king of kings. It was a place where they performed and consecrated acts of offering and worship and praise and submission to God's authority. It was not just a symbol of divine mercy and grace. It was a place where they received assurance and forgiveness for which they had prayed. It was the meeting place for God's people on pilgrimage where they could hear God's word delivered, commit themselves to God's service. The rebuilt temple fulfilled all of God's promises. And I just really thought it was a good way to sum up why this is important. Again, if we're looking at why is God putting such a priority on this, that symbol alone of this is a place where you can come. And one of my favorite parts of there was the place where you could come to receive assurance and forgiveness. And when I think about it, and even Jesus compared himself to the temple, Mm -hmm. when I come to Jesus, that's where I get assurance and forgiveness. Uh, So the temple just representing so much more and why there was such an importance on it. Right. I think as I'm looking, like, I think back before, there was the tabernacle. I was like, cool, Mm -hmm. there's a tabernacle. The temple is, you know, a bit more, not even a bit more, a lot more done up than the tabernacle. But in that, how you just bring out all of those important things is because whether it was at the tabernacle or whether it was at the temple, there was the law that God had given. And when you're talking about being a holy place and a consecrated place and everything else, there's the whole concept of sacred geography and sacred space in in the Old Testament that to come into God's presence is you need to be holy and you need to be purified. Mm -hmm. That's go back to the book of Leviticus, all the uh, uncleanness and stuff. It doesn't necessarily mean sin but you're ritually impure. So you offer these sacrifices and then you wait certain times and stuff to where reestablishing the temple to be God's people and to be in his presence because that's where verse five of chapter two, this is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you. Do not be afraid. Again, for God to be among the people, for the temple to be there, but then for them to go through the ritual cleansing and stuff to be consecrated to him as a people is very important. As you were saying in your quote, like it, the temple is related to the law and carrying out and the sacrifices, which later you get Jesus as you were, as you were saying. But for now, for these people, and I think that that there's probably more in this section, so I don't want to jump ahead of where you're at. But getting into that second part of chapter two, talking about people being defiled and consecrated mm-hmm. and the examples that he gives. I think that that really ties into the importance that you were saying. Yeah, I, I want to touch on one thing because you brought it up to my mind and then you could get into that second part of chapter two, but um, the when you they came out of Egypt, that part, it's like Haggai's delivering this message, and what a cool thing of God to do is to remind them of this great moment where they were in exile, and they came out of it, mm-hmm. like to take them back and say, like, this is your history, this is your roots, this is where you started, you started in Egypt under slavery, under bondage, I brought you out of that. Don't be afraid because I did it once. You know I could do it over and over and over again. And and, and I, I just really thought that was a cool, I mean, we're looking at this being a group of people who are saying like, yeah, let's go. Let's do what God wants us to do. The encouragement that kind of came with it in those key little reminders. Yeah, because what's important? God's like, what's important, me or the temple? Right. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's a good point. All right, take us into the second half. All right, second half of it. And again, anyone can go back and listen to the whole thing in context, verse by verse. Um, But coming in, now we're on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius. Sorry, I wanted to translate that to English. So I'm thinking that means 18th of December, 520 BC. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's the four months later that this is coming through. And basically, Haggai asked the priest for ruling and he uses something from that law and the imagery from it. And he says, if a man is carrying consecrated meat, so meat that's been consecrated, set apart, holy, holy for God, and that's in the fold of his garment, and that touches bread, stew, wine, oil, or any other food, by the holy thing touching that thing, does that other item become holy? And the priest say, no. So Haggai asks, what about someone who's been defiled by contacting a corpse? So touching a corpse, touching a dead body, that makes you ritually unclean according to the law. So if somebody who's been defiled like that goes and touches any of those items does that item become defiled the priest answered or does it become defiled Haggai asked and he says yes it becomes defiled the priest answered so the transference of holiness and the transferring of defiledness what we see here is what's being defiled can be transferred to other items basically and what's the point why bring up these illustrations that the priest would understand well verse 14 
As Haggai replied, so it is with this people and this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so it is with every work of their hands. Whatever they offer there is defiled. Basically, it's leading up, the people are unclean. So all of the stuff that they're going around and touching is becoming unclean. At least that's my understanding when I was studying through it. I don't know if you have a different insight to it. Yeah, I did get that. And it just clicked on me because I wrote this note down on uh, doing some further studying before I printed out my notes. Uh, but it said, before being destroyed by Babylon, the temple was a focal point of the people's failures. Uh, they worshiped other gods there. And you can see that in Ezekiel chapter 8. And then they believed God would keep them safe because it was his temple. So that impurity kind of uh, what I'm looking at is that the uncleanness of the first temple because of what they did to it, that they were unclean themselves, like you were saying, that they just continuously defiled everything that previous generation almost I, I, I totally agree 100% what you're saying, but as I'm working through this now, I could just see it as a warning of like what you touch if you're unclean because of your sins and all the other stuff will become unclean. Could be off with it, but like that, that's, I, I'm just putting some little thoughts and pieces together in my head on where I'm looking at it in one of the, that note that I saw there about the, that it was a point of the people's failures, that the old original temple was where they would go and, and do that stuff. Yeah, so taking that, the, the concept of it, because it definitely was a law part that, again, even the priests were answering, but then, yeah, bringing the, extrapolating the meaning out of that, for sure. But man, how, it's such a, I want to say it's it's a harsh thing, because like, hey, yeah, let's listen to God, and we're building the thing, and they're going, and God's like, hey, you know, if you touch a dead person, you're defiled, and if you touch mm -hmm. something, you're defiled, that's what you guys are. <laughs> <laughs> man, we just built a temple, you encouraged us, what's happening here? But I don't think that it's a thing of really calling them out in that sense, but again, reminding them to bring them back to, you need to be a consecrated people. Yeah, because it was the failure of the people before them to keep God's laws, to keep his decrees, and that's what made them unclean. It was their failure, uh, that their constant idol chasing, their constant worshiping other gods. Um, I saw this, and it was in that book, Not Safe by Mark Batterson. Oh, and he yeah. was talking about idolatry and, and everything, about chasing after other gods in it at the very end of it. And he said, sin isn't the problem, it's idolatry. Mm -hmm. And sin is idolatry. At the end of the day, whatever you're doing is what you're worshiping. Whatever you're prioritizing above God is what you're worshiping. Um, and I really liked the way he put that together. It just made it make a little bit more sense. It's like the deep root is idolatry, that we want to worship other things. That's why God dropped the hammer, right? It was, you have forsaken me. You went chasing other gods. the root of it and you do see that when you read through the old testament more mm -hmm. specifically you get that the main thing that was being taught against was idolatry mm -hmm. idolatry and the worship of other gods because when you're worshiping the other gods you worship them in the way that they desire to be worshiped which is where you get like temple prostitutes and all this different stuff and sacrifices and human and otherwise right and i think we've talked about that a bit on the show too um but yeah idolatry is really the main thing there so to be cleansed of that and just to even bring it back to the point of egypt of God bringing them up out of Egypt. And then what happened? They had the Sinai experiment where, hey, I'll be your God. You can be my people. But he was saying, but you need to follow my laws, right? And that's, he was consecrating them to him. And I see the same thing happening here. That like, cool, you've rebuilt the temple. But if you consider them coming out of Babylon, living in Babylon for 70 years, they had a whole bunch of idols and gods there that I don't think that all of the Israelites kept to a very faithful Israelite mm. religion, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. they definitely weren't offering the sacrifices at the temple. We know that much. But I, uh, when I look at scholarship, they tend to look at there's a really big uh, crossover of beliefs and different things came home with them and, and things like that to where I see this as another moment of God saying, hey, no, 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 you've, you've become dirty with all that stuff. You need to become clean again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we're just saying the same point from different perspectives. I think we are. Yeah. yeah, we're agreeing. <laughs> no, I knew we were yeah. agreeing, but I was just like, all right, maybe next point. Yeah, <laughs> like, we've hit that one quite a bit. Uh, let's jump into verse 20. Yeah, I like that part. All right, so this is for the second time that day. So we don't need to go find the other date again. We're still our 18th of December. The word of the Lord came to Haggai saying, Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. 
I will overturn royal thrones and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations. I will overturn chariots and their riders. Horses and riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, my servant, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. So we see that Zerubbabel is the governor, uh, like you're saying, he's the governor, high priest during this time. He was the governor, not the high priest. Governor. Yeah. So you have Joshua, or depending on your translation, you might have him as Yeshua, which, hmm, that's kind of Jesus' mm-hmm. name too. If you look at Jesus, that's the Greek, Jesus. And if you look back, Jesus' name in Hebrew is probably Yeshua or Joshua. So if you look at high priest and tie into all kinds of other Joshua's, you know, I'm just, I'm just sprinkling that in just for no other reason drink. other than, hey, my brain made a connection. But yeah, the high priest was Joshua, Zerubbabel being the governor. So you have that same thing of more of the political ruling power and then the high priest and the two of them working together. That's where they're mentioned pretty much all of the time throughout this whole book, except for here. Yeah. Only Zerubbabel's mentioned. And there's a significant difference here is that that you've now become my signet ring. Mm -hmm. So like almost uh, the signet ring is whatever that ring, when it makes a stamp into something, that's declared law, that's rule. Yeah. So the signet ring, it's the ancient... autograph you know i'm signing this i'm putting my authority on it if anything has it like you said so you had the ring that had whatever kind of symbol on it you would normally have wax you push it in there and if if that decree had that like that one that they went and found from cyrus is that hey that they could rebuild i guarantee you it had his his signet signet on there yeah and at a time they actually moved away from rings and they went to a cylinder so if you i don't know if you ever seen those ancient cylinders that have like um embossed characters all the way around Mm -mm. and they would take that and they would pour out the wax and they would roll it and it would create like because when you roll it right it goes over and you would get like that full section it would end up being a rectangle but then I think they've thought, oh, let's go back to rings. <laughs> That's a lot of more work. And yeah. Ringing, pushing but something. whether it was the ring or whatever, when you had that seal, it was whoever is delivering this, the fact it has this, it comes by authority of the one who's, whose ring it is. We had that with, what's that witch's name that we talked? Jezebel. Jezebel. Yeah, that witch. <laughs> <laughs> Not the actual witch. That was the witch of Endor. Yeah. But yeah, well, Not the Ewoks. That lady. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she was taking her husband's ring. You remember that? Mm-hmm. She was making all kinds of mischief. She's like, hey, yeah, we should go kill these people here. I'll just go stamp his name here. And they didn't care that it was coming from the queen. They didn't whatever because they could turn around like, it's from the king. Yeah. All you needed was that stamp. Have so, you ever seen Ben-Hur? I have, but I was young. I can't recall so that. So there's a point. Like Ben-Hur's story is basically like a Jewish person born at the exact same time as Jesus. And uh, what they're going through almost like side by side as he's getting older and they're getting aging but uh, his life gets Ben-Hur's life gets all jacked up he was uh, the prince of Jerusalem during that time and his friend betrays him he's basically sent to the gallows which is like you're rowing the boats and he's rowing the boats for war and everything and uh, he ends up saving one of the high-ranking commanders of Rome and being rewarded uh, for that he he uh, makes him his Basically, his son. He had lost his son in war, mm-hmm. so he made Ben Hur his son. And on his like big retirement party, he gave Ben Hur his ring, and he said, "Like you know, whatever you do, it's in my name. You represent me since my son has passed. You are now my son." And he gave it to him, and then he was able to use that and go back and kind of his friend who betrayed him, kind of take care of that issue with him or or something. You just go watch the movie; it's really cool. But the whole idea of the signet ring that uh, Ben Hur, who was a Jew. Once he got that ring, became a Roman. He became that man, and he represented him. Right, you have that full yeah. representation. So that's where you get here. And I'm, I want to go watch Ben Hur. It gets referenced so often. It's like a four-hour movie, man. Yeah. The first twenty minutes is just music. It's crazy, but it, it is worth watching. And then there's like yeah, a. I'll go it, get the young adults and say, "Let's watch Ben Hur." There's an intermission too. There's like a point where it's like it says it on screen. Intermission. Oh, I love old movies. <laughs> yeah, it's super awesome. But a, a long story to get to the point of representation, and this was what was happening here because. Zerubbabel is now that signet ring. God is saying, hey, you're like the stamp that I'm putting down there. So I'm about to act in the world. And when people see it, they're going to see it like that's my signature. I'm behind this action. And Zerubbabel, when we even get into further history of him, is the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. Did you make those greats up or did you do the math? I did the math. You can find it in Matthew one twelve and Luke 
37, 27. So Matthew is the Joseph genealogy. Luke is Mary's genealogy. And yeah, it goes back and he is a descendant of David. So again, that promise you had talked about that God made to David, you'll always have someone on the throne is now kind of being reconnected and restored here through that. And then even seeing him, that signet ring being in the lineage, how many greats I said before, grandfather of Jesus. Yeah, and you get that. So in Matthew 1, like you're saying, that's that big, oh, great, we're in a genealogy. Mm -hmm. But this is where, and we've said it several times, the difference between Bible reading and Bible study, to where go through those genealogies and go back and cross-reference, and who was this person, and what was going on? And you don't always get a lot of detail sometimes. Sometimes that person's name is still just in a genealogy, mm -hmm. <laughs> or some, sometimes you get some fun stuff about, like, hold on, that guy has a different dad's name in this genealogy, and then it's like, okay, different form of Bible study happening now, because that actually happens with Zerubbabel. Um, for as much as he did here during the whole Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, uh, Zechariah stage, when he's mentioned in Chronicles, he just gets mentioned once, and he has a different dad's name there. So it's the whole thing of like, well, is that like his grandpa's name? Did his dad have a whatever? Like, mm -hmm. there's other ways that people try and get get into what's going on with his dad's name. But it's interesting that you can get so much of the detail here in Haggai, and then in Chronicles, where Chronicles is telling everything that's happening with everybody. He's like, oh yeah, Zerubbabel, here's the son of that guy. Well, Moses's grandfather had four names. Or <laughs> yeah. Moses's uh, father-in-law, yeah. not grandfather. His Good old Jethro. Yeah, he had like four different names. So yeah, so naming stuff uh, again. It's fun to study if that's a thing that you really get into. I think that the point of that is if you only looked at Chronicles and this guy's name got listed, you're like, okay, cool, Zerubbabel. I guess he was a guy. But then here you have this meaning behind it. So I think that even at times where we read a genealogy and we don't get the information, like that guy lived a life. Or that, or that woman lived a life. The thing, too, about it is, like, until I did this study, and, you know, I've been a Christian a majority of my life. I've read the Bible several times over. Until I did this study on Haggai, I didn't know that he's also mentioned in the lineage of Jesus. You know, it's, it's not until we really put some... Yeah, because it's just one of those names. <laughs> it's just a name, and then it's one of those names that you're going to read really But now quickly. every single time, for yeah. us and anyone listening, you're going to go through Matthew 1. I know at least one of those. It, yeah, and it's like one of those names, it's just it's hard to pronounce, so I'm just going to read it quickly if I do read it, or I'm going to look at it. But the symbolicness of, like, this is my signet ring, uh, like I said, that reestablishment of the Davidic line of kings that would eventually lead to the reign and the future reign of Christ. Nebuchadnezzar came, the line was severed. He took the king off the throne, threw someone else on there. That dude rebelled. Someone else came and took over. But the line was severed. The people are now coming back, and the line is now reestablished. And that line is now connected and leads all the ways to Jesus, where you even go back to like Judah, you know, Israel's son, Judah, mm -hmm. where connecting that line that started there all the ways again through. Okay. So it's so interesting. We can keep going into it. I don't know if you want to do that, but I think to go back and listen to the episode that we had with Brittany, which was which villain's episode? Esther. No, Esther wasn't the villain. She was the good guy. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Haman. <laughs> Haman. I don't know. I'm struggling with all these villains. names. that witch, this guy, Haman. Um, she brings in some interesting tie-ins as far as things that happen in ancient times and what causes um, those people to be against each other. And we see that. And then there's a really interesting study. So just to set the stage of what that kind of thing looks like, that's what I'm saying. Go back and listen to that episode with Brittany. But when you go through Jesus's life and you see these things as far as like the lineage that he has and sometimes the places that he goes and the things that he does, there's this really cool thing where he's a lot of times reversing bad things that happen mm. throughout the Old Testament. He's like going and reconciling those things. He's going mm. to a place and he's doing a thing and with a certain people group or, you know, whatever it is. And it's those little details that, again, further Bible study and further Bible study. And I'm not aware of all of them. But then you get to see him. And you're like, wow, that was so intentional. Super cool stuff. Just yeah. when you're talking about rebuilding those lines and all this stuff, going back to his sovereignty, things don't escape God. If he, set, if he makes a promise, he follows through. And if he sets something in motion, it comes through, even down to the smallest detail. It's the most amazing thing the more that you look at it. That's really what I love as, like, I'm pretty much done with my stuff here for this one. Um, but that's really what I love from the book of Haggai, is that the promises God made, you could just see them being fulfilled, getting reconnected, getting put back together. Where, like, I mean... Okay, we talked about how like some of them may have never even been born 
in Jerusalem, right? They were born in Babylon, but the ones that came back home, the ones that weeped over seeing mm -hmm. the palace not or the temple not being what it used to be, um, the hopelessness you had to have felt when you were taken into captivity, when you were marched into a land and thinking like, what about all the promises? What about all the things God said? I will tell you about those promises. Those were the promises of Jeremiah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get it yeah. now, guys? Yeah. But then he also had those promises. But after 70 years. You'll come back home. And then this is Haggai. This is that the promise of the restoration, the return, coming back. And uh, to me, this is why it's one of the, the beautiful books. Why, again, maybe not this episode is going to be why you change your mind, but I'm guaranteeing next episode will be why you look at this book in a different way. And it, it becomes one of your favorite books in the Bible. Yeah. So I know that you just said that there's a second episode I did want to look at. We had questions. Who's Haggai? I think we answered that. Mm -hmm. When was he a prophet? We answered that. Darius, I said some weird stuff about that. Uh, we didn't have <laughs> full info on other Darius. That's fine. We're not talking about him. Who is Zerubbabel? Did we get into that? Did we cover Zerubbabel pretty good? Yeah, I think, I think so. right there at the end. Yeah. yeah, we covered him pretty. Yeah, getting into Matthew 1 and all that. And rebuilding the temple is so important. I think that we definitely hit those throughout. For me, just looking at who Zerubbabel is and you get uh, him and Joshua and just that tag team coming through. I think that it's cool that you have the tag team of, I almost said Ezra and Nehemiah, wrong tag team. You have um, Haggai and Zechariah and they're both these prophets that are going out and they're going and bringing the word of God out and they're fulfilling God's will during that time. And then you have Zerubbabel and Joshua and they're leading. Um, if you want to look at this different point of view, this is um, David and Nathan, right? Mm. It's that same kind of concept. You have the, the more of the political leader type thing, and then you have the high priest, and that's coming in, and just really looking at these two coming together. And whereas in Haggai, you get that at the very end, him coming saying, okay, but Zerubbabel, and mm -hmm. you have that importance coming. It's an interesting thing when you look in Zechariah, for anyone that goes and reads that, Zechariah has some like visions about Joshua being the high priest and just like all of this heavenly stuff that's happening for Joshua. And in Israel's history, there's like a interesting turning point here even to where more, I want to say like more power or prominence given to the priest as opposed to the more like kingly side of things. But you see this happening here, but that's where I like having it all coming together because you get sides between Haggai and Zechariah. But just want to, I want we, we talked about Zerubbabel, so I want to say about Joshua. Joshua, every time he's mentioned here, is called high priest. And when you get into the Hebrew there about high priest, it's that particular phrasing. It's only ever used of two other people by name throughout the whole Old Testament. And one of them is, I believe the guy's name is Halal. He was the high priest during King Josiah's rule, right? I think that's his name. He was actually the high priest that went and discovered the law. He went and discovered the Torah after it had been gone for all that time. And we tend to boast about Josiah. Oh, yeah, King mm -hmm. Josiah, he's the one that brought it back and said, let it be read. But it was actually that high priest. And when you look at the prominence, they're like, he got named as the high priest. And then there's the other guy. And then here we have Joshua. And just the level of prominence that we have for Joshua being over during this time between just those guys that we mentioned. You have Ezra, you have Nehemiah. You have Haggai, you have Zechariah, you have Zerubbabel, and you have Joshua, and then all the remnant as well. And I'm just so pleased and inspired to be like these men of God. Like you're saying, we'll get more into the inspiration and everything otherwise, but when, we, when you start to study and you see how they're talking and all just the history of everything, it's like, this is what it's supposed to get down to. Yeah. Yeah. I do like that too, because it does shed into light when someone does get into like the gospels and Jesus, right? There's the minor prophets, they stop, hundreds of years of silence, Matthew. By that point, you're like, wait, what happened to kings? What happened to this? And yeah, it's high priests have more of the rulership. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so that's where I was going. If you follow through on the study, that's what that leads yeah, into. Yeah, the high priest has more of an authority. And again, Rome did take over. So there was no other king other than Caesar at that time. That's what, and then Jesus saying like, okay, he's our king. He's our high priest. He is. All those roles of authority that we had a man fill, Jesus came and filled them as our Savior. Mm -hmm. And that's the cool part about it, is making that, that spin where you did have David as king, right? Leader, ruler, authority, and his line. Then you have Joshua, 
who high priest and then creates that lineage of high priests. And then like now they're kind of ruling or I guess not ruling, but keeping the law intact for the people. And then you have Jesus who comes in and says, I'm both. Mm -hmm. I'm your high priest. I am your king. I fulfilled the law. And now I have authority over you. I gave it. I kept it. And now, <laughs> yeah. now here I am, Savior. Uh, yeah, that's really cool. I'd never looked at it that way. Uh, never really would have even put those two together until the study. So this is why we're doing Forgotten Books, to study your Bible. There's so many things that when I'm looking at my notes that are here, like the different cross-references into different passages, or even I have some stuff. What gets mentioned here gets brought up by Josephus. Again, you want to talk about factual stuff, like this was mentioned by Josephus, who is a a historian during the mm -hmm. time right and just different things that there's so much more that out of these 38 verses these two little chapters that not just on the study side like oh cool history but we get to get into more of okay but like i said why does it matter mm -hmm. so let's close this so we can do that later yeah but 38 verses crucial to the rebuilding of the temple 38 verses that pushed forward why the temple was important and like i said the same temple jesus walked through Mm -hmm. where we have verse 9 and in this place I will grant peace of chapter 2 and we'll get more into that next episode but I'm Chris I'm Yurza we're your church friends thanks for listening Habakkuk Nahum Obadiah Jude Philemon Haggai Amos